0: hello listeners welcome back to weird era the literary podcast where we ask the right questions i'm thrilled to be joined today by melissa broder to discuss her new novel death valley Melissa Broder is the author of the novels *Milkfed* and the Pisces, the essay collection So Sad Today, and five poetry collections, including Super Doom. She has written for the New York Times, L.com, and New York Magazine's The Cut. She lives in Los Angeles. In her astounding new novel, a woman arrives alone at a Best Western, seeking respite from an emptiness that plagues her. She's fled to the California high desert to escape a cloud of sorrow for both her father in the ICU and a husband whose illness is worsening. What the motel provides, however, is not peace, but a path, thanks to a receptionist who recommends a nearby hike. Out on the sun-scorched trail, the woman encounters a towering cactus whose size and shape mean it should not exist in California. Yet, the cactus is there with a gash through its side that beckons like a familiar door. So she enters it. What awaits her inside this mythical succulent sets her on a journey at once desolate and rich, hilarious, and poignant. This is Melissa Broder at her most imaginative, most universal, and finest, this is Death Valley. Hi, Melissa. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me.
0: So we are just diving right in. There is this meta quality to Death Valley in that your main character is, quote, here at a Best Western for a week under the pretext of figuring out the desert section of her next novel. How much of this writer writing a novel within a novel is reflective of your own experience writing Death Valley?
1: So I see this as, um, really a send up of auto fiction. Um, there are mm. a lot of similarities in the sense that the protagonist's, uh, father, um, has been in, um, a car accident and is in the ICU, has been in the ICU for five months. My father was in the ICU for six months after a car accident, um, mm. uh, right before he died, um, unfortunately. And, um, she The character has a disabled husband. she lives in Los Angeles. My husband also is disabled. I live in los angeles um but uh a- and she flees to the desert from there however the uh the sort of resemblances uh, begin to disintegrate in the sense <laughs> that uh this character. Comes upon, oh, and also she loves the best Western. I too love the best Western. Um, <laughs> however, she has not earned enough points for a free reward, uh, enough free rewards points for a free night, and I have earned many points and got many free (laughs) nights at the Best Western. So it is not auto fiction. Um, But from there, the similarities really start to disintegrate in the sense of what happens to her. And um, she discovers a magic cactus on the trail um, and is able to go inside and encounter her loved ones at different uh, points um, in their lives. And um, that has not happened to me
0: yet. Did you do any um, ground research in the desert at all for this novel?
1: I did indeed. So, uh, this is also uh, turns into a desert survival story and a getting lost in the desert story. Um, Once I had come up with the idea for the book, uh, which happened while I was driving through the desert uh, on the way home from my sister's in Las Vegas. that, that stretch um, of the highway between uh, Vegas and Los Angeles. It's about a five-hour drive without traffic, but there's always traffic. Um, I, um, I decided I took a desert recon tra- trip, and I went mm-hmm. for a hike. And um, I didn't tell uh, anyone where I was going, and it, I went to, it wasn't even supposed to be a hike. I went out for a walk in this area called Zabriskie Point, which is a very touristy area, tons of people. Um, nobody gets lost there. Somehow I got very lost. Um, (laughs) I did not have water with me. Um, I don't recommend that Um, because I wasn't really supposed to be an adventuresome hike. It was just like a, you know, a stroll. Um, I had Coke Zero um, and uh, that was it. My phone lost its service. And so I was out there. um, The sun is beating down and I'm crying. How long have I been out here? It had been about 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) But... uh, And I ended up, I did the thing you're not supposed to do, which is that I panicked. And um, I climbed up this rock face trying to get back. And because I couldn't remember the way back, the direction, and um, got very cut up. Uh, Finally did make it back to my car, finally being about 45 minutes of being lost. Uh, Once I stopped crying, um, I was like, wait a second. Now I know what happens in this novel.
0: Mm. The protagonist
1: is getting lost in the desert, but she's getting lost for more than 45 minutes. (laughs)
0: So a huge part of Death Valley has to do with the narrator's relationship to the men in her life, uh, namely her husband and her father, both of whom are in deteriorating health. Um, She's simultaneously fearing their potential imminent deaths and living in that grief while trying to not be pulled under by it. Um, A great quote about her husband's illness, "'I fear I will follow him there, only to regret having followed him. Suffocation, disintegration, a dying but no death.'" Eventually, and in, in the desert, she finds she's more capable of feeling sympathy and empathy with these men when she realizes she's been understanding them only through her own experience and not as their own self-contained humans. The question is, were you doing something gendered here? What are you telling us about how women relate to men?
1: You know, it wasn't intentional. It was just um, the two, I guess... Crises in my life at that point. Uh, um, And I often write, I think, from a place of discomfort. Like I write Mm. when there's sort of a problem that I'm like gnawing on, and I'm either going to gnaw on myself or I'm going to gnaw on some sentences, right? It just happened to be that uh, they were both men. So it wasn't intentional. It wasn't like, you know, my last book, Milk Fed, is really a book of women. Um, And this is really um, the. In some ways, that yes, it is, it is, uh, the auxiliary characters are more, um, are men for the most part, um, except for like the talking rabbits and uh, the talking rocks and uh, the magic cactus, which I don't think to me the cactus is genderless, but readers can decide. But, um, you know, I think it was just sort of uh, what was going on for me that I then uh, branched completely off into uh, imaginative fiction.
0: So if we are kind of, as a a practice here, um, what does the story look like if we do swap the genders of the characters? Is a man going into the desert as he's grieving his wife and mother going to come to the same conclusions that your character does?
1: I think really every person would come to different conclusions. I mean, look, there's a universality to grief, but there but everybody grieves very differently right like we or rather there's a universality i think to loss um and i think there's a universality to grief but how that manifests for each person is extremely different and you know one of the things this book does you're you're absolutely right in talking about um you know she has been seeing Uh, her father's plight and her husband's experience through her own lens so for example she's taking her father's stay in the icu very personally because he Mm -hmm. doesn't always want to see her right like he's fighting for his life and she's trying to what she's trying to do is she wants the father from her childhood back right like Mm -hmm. because they've Mm -hmm. also had a rift between them um for about 20 years um, because of his depression. But she was always taking his depression personally, right? First she thought she was somehow the cause of it. Um, then she realized she wasn't the cause of it, but she thought she could be bigger than it, right? And then um, she kind of came to realize she she isn't. Well, now he's in this accident, and suddenly it's playing out again where she's thinking, you know, if I can just, like, say the right things, if I can just connect with him, then, like, you know, I can somehow have the father from my childhood back, but guess what he's going through this struggle her father's going through this struggle and um it's really not about her you know and so i think mm. um in ter- in that sense um you know it is really uh yes the book the book examines like empathy versus compassion right and how do we understand what people or how do we how do we have sympathy for people without uh you know, having experienced it ourselves or at least being able to put it. Sometimes we can't even, we aren't able to put ourselves in someone's shoes, but how do we have sympathy anyway?
0: When I started Death Valley, uh, I was really prepared for kind of like a magical story in the realm of Alice in Wonderland. The main character would enter this aforementioned cactus in the desert and be taken into a whole new world. It's not, not what happens, but... But as you said, what follows after the cactus is a literal survival story as she fights for her life in the desert. There seems to be this level of kind of subverting expectations of what a typical hero's journey looks like in Death Valley. And and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Sure. So, um, you know, the hero's journey, um, oftentimes we do see a hero fearful, um, but we don't necessarily at least in my experience, we don't always, um, you know, with, like, the great myths, we don't always go inside the character. It's often, um, you know, like, if you think about um, even something as simple as Aesop's Fables, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Greek myths. We're not getting into... Uh, the the characters are usually not very neurotic. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so this is the neurotic hero's journey. Um, this is, you know, it's really with with a real focus on the fears. You know, we talk a lot about, like, facing our fears, right? And I, I happen to be an extremely fearful person, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll face my fears unless forced. And this is a character Who she's not chosen to undertake this journey, right? She's not a hero who has willfully chosen to uh, undertake the journey. The journey has been thrust upon her, um, literally, Mm -hmm. because she gets lost. And what do we do? How do we survive when we are, like, an incredibly fearful person? And the desert, I think, can also be seen as the landscape of grief and even the landscape of life, where there are a lot of periods where things look very barren and how much do we surrender and how much do we keep walking, you know? Um, and we have to surrender to the elements in the sense we have to surrender, I think, to our own feelings to some degree, right? Feelings. Mm. If we don't feel them, well, that's what I'm told anyway. I'm told we have to feel our feelings, which is annoying because I'd prefer not to, but, um, and then also, though, like, if you're lost in the desert, you do have to keep walking. And um, yeah, so it's really a question of navigating those two things.
0: Was there ever a time? I mean, I know you said that, you know, you, you did your little ground research. You, you went into, uh, into the desert and got lost. Was there ever a time where most of the story would take place inside the cactus?
1: Yes. So... I thought originally uh when when I got this idea that this character was just going to keep going back from back and forth from the cactus to the best western to the cactus to the best western and that um she would at some point have to choose between whether she wants to like return to life
0: You know, Mm. like
1: whether or whether she wants to stay in the cactus and hide. Um, But then once I got lost, I realized it was a much more interesting story to be uh, in pursuit of this cactus on a daily basis and then in pursuit of it to to get completely lost in the desert.
0: There's um, an overarching plot point in Death Valley, where the narrator craves nothing more than to be in a hospital bed. Uh, quote, I wanted a sick bed of my own. I wanted to be laid out in white sheets, everything taken care of for me, and let go. She wants to be relieved of the duty of life, but still wants to live to some degree. Um, do you think a mentality like this is a symptom of 21st century living? Or is this desire to forfeit control inherently... A human trait. Mm.
1: I don't know because it's hard for me to speak for other humans, right? Like um, I think that all human beings are different. I think there's probably – there probably are a lot of human beings who don't want who, – who don't desire that surrender at all or that weird mm. version of surrender, right? Because if you think about it, like a hospital isn't necessarily a place that would – she has a fantasy, her desire to be laid out in white sheets is a fantasy, right? It is not the actual being like hooked up to tubes in a hospital, Mm -hmm. laying there for weeks and weeks, right? It is a fantasy. Um, And I think that fantasy serves, at least in my own life, as um, a sort of uh, outlet for tension and outlet for stresses of, um, you know, contemporary life. On a personal level, you know, I think I still have that fantasy. Like I just, there's this desire to like, it's like, I can't face life until I'm healed. You know, like I can't face, and I'm like starting to sort of realize that maybe the healing is in the living. You know, it's not in the respite from living until I feel okay. And then, you know, until one feels okay, I, I have a very strong desire to take especially like post covid where like mm. you know as a person with like social anxiety there was something very easy about having to only encounter other human beings really like on a computer you know mm. but i think that but human beings like we are um we need other people right and this, there's the stream of life and um how do we participate in the stream of life when we are suffering Right. Like how do we participate in the stream of life? Like when we don't feel whole, I can tend to see like injury or uh, discomfort is almost like some kind of failing, you know, for myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that this character, you know, there's a line in this book um, where she, uh, there's well, there's a magical bird in the book, mustache oriole, and later um, she imagines um, she hears these words, and they're said to her, and they say, um, "Wounded bird, do not poke yourself with a stick. An injury is not a defect."
0: One of the most, um, I would say, surprisingly intense moments for me in Death Valley comes in the narrator's first night alone in the desert when she turns her phone off for the first time. She is startlingly alone here, even though she's had no service throughout her time in the desert, but her phone is still a comfort and a distraction. We're following her on this journey of unplugging, uh, which quotes like this one early in the novel set up. She says... I live an Internet life, one that feels like moving forward, but mostly amounts to its own kind of nothing. Internet is capitalized in this instance. Alternatively, mentions of God throughout the novel go uncapitalized. Was this a deliberate grammatical distinction? And if religion is historically a a kind of comfort and distraction, is the Internet our new God?
1: Um, good question. So the capitalization of internet was purely when I got down to the copy edits and the proofreader, uh, capitalized internet. Um, I just simply went with the style guide of Scribner, my publisher and was like, I, I don't love internet capitalized, but, and I picked a lot of, there were a lot of battles that I, that I chose to, to wage back and forth with the proofreader. Proofreaders have it, have a hard job. Um, cause they also have to <laughs> Tell you that, um, you know, that, uh, chicken McNuggets were not invented. Uh, in the year <laughs> when uh, you have them slated in the book, and I say, "Well, that's a fantasy," and she's projecting the chicken McNuggets, and you, you know, you go back and forth. But with internet, uh, the proofreader chose to capitalize um, internet, and I was like, "Fine," and I gave that to her. Um, but uh, with God, I usually use God lowercase. I think it probably it probably originally stems from. Um, that I'm Jewish and usually Jews either spell God if we spell it with a capital G. it's G underscore d or it's lowercase G because it's like the the name or or the the rendering in words doesn't represent, um, you know the the actual God, right like the God is too mighty to be rendered on paper as mm-hmm. God, right? That's, right. which is actually interesting because it may, it, it's for whatever reason, it's bringing me right now to, um, the beginning verses of the Tao Te Ching where, uh, you know, Lao Tzu says, uh, the Tao that cannot be, the Dao that can be named is not the true Tao, right? Like the way that can be named. So this is only a sort of, um, a symbol of what, you know, a finger pointing at the moon. But, um, you know this and in, in in Death Valley uh this protagonist has a real desire to try to pin down god right mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. this sort of uh resource where um she knows where to find it right and there's this desire that um to sort of she's like i just i just want like one god and i know where to find it so that like because it's it's a desire for safety right it's a desire for something to hold on to and then she kept, keeps being told over and over again, throughout the book in various ways, um, you know, that God is, is myriad and there are many manifestations and that we can't, she can't conceptualize it with her own mind, you know, um, God help comes to her, right? Like that can be seen in some ways Mm -hmm. as divine, um, through all kinds of earthly forces, right. That also contain God. Um, and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's that, I guess, relinquishing the control of the need to know what God is, which is, um, you know, for somebody who is a neurotic hero, is a really hard thing to do to relinquish any control of needing to know.
0: Parenthetical asides go a long way in Death Valley. Um so much of the narrator's monologues include parentheses that further her lines of thought. Oftentimes uh, they're at odds with the thoughts that she's sharing with the reader. As a writer, what did these parenthetical moments allow you to explore that straight text doesn't?
1: Um, That's a really good question. I think what happened was um, when I started writing the book and even when I I was driving through the desert, uh, as I said, you know, home for my sisters, uh, when I came up with the first couple lines of the book and there were parentheses there, they just like, as they bloomed, as they came to me, there were parentheses there. And then I was like, well, this is a fun style, <laughs> you know, like this is a, like, this is, this is yes. Not that I haven't used parentheses in my other books, but, um, I sort of, once I introduce, you know, sort of, once I introduce something, um, or rather like once something appears in the book sometimes i'll work backwards and try to like build it in so that it so that it has been introduced and this was the parentheses were there and i was like let's use this and i think you know it can also be said that maybe because this is a very um it is a pretty solo book and an internal book right like mm-hmm. definitely um, right like the de- the journey she takes is is a journey alone although you know we have these other uh, anthropomorphized uh, elements of nature that she encounters. But I think the parentheses, in a way, serve to reify, you know, this is an internal, this is a pretty internal journey. And then there's the internal of the internal, right?
0: (laughs) So many novels slash stories slash memoirs about grief uh, don't want to be funny. Death Valley is, by contrast, extremely funny at points. I mean, talking to you now, I can tell you are a funny person. Um, (laughs) When talking about a novel the narrator reads on grief, she states, quote, it was clear that the author had never herself unraveled. Also, she seemed to disapprove of humor in any form, which was another problem, because how could a person unravel so humorlessly and not die? If I saw no humor in my unraveling, I'd have been dead long ago. In your opinion, why is humor such a necessary tool for survival?
1: Um, Well, because I think that um, if you are a person who does a lot of thinking and takes oneself so seriously, um, one antidote to that is humor. If you're able to sort of muster um, it, because it's a shift in perception, right? A humor is a shift in perception. It's another way of seeing uh, a difficult situation. And... um, You know, a shift in perception is always a miracle. Sometimes it's all it takes to get Mm -hmm. through something.
0: If humor is a coping mechanism, then is a coping mechanism the same thing as a tool?
1: Um, I would say, yes, we have tools that benefit us and we have tools that are, um, you know, maybe don't benefit us, right? And I would call some, I I would say, hmm, I would say that, coping mechanisms, we we have coping mechanisms that benefit us and coping mechanisms that no longer serve us. And I think like the ones that benefit us, um, or the one are, um, you know, could be, could be described as a tool, but I would also go as far as to say sometimes we have tools that like, you know, maybe don't serve us anymore or they're broken or they actually injure us. Right. Mm -hmm. But they still feel safe. We still need to like reach into that, you know, crappy old bag of tools and be like, Wait, this one or like, you know, we uh we don't it's like you will pry this non-working tool from my cold <laughs> dead hands, you know, like let go or be dragged, right? And um yeah, so I think but I think humor falls in the in the category of um, you know, a tool that is one that is good to use for life.
0: Later in the novel when the narrator is Beginning to understand her husband's suffering through her own, Uh, there's a beautiful quote that I want to highlight here. Miraculous what you have done with love, alone in your own desert, not alone but feeling alone because you were with me and I did not understand however much I would have wanted to, however much I tried. I could not understand until I understood and will forget again if I make it out of here alive. It's that last line that I want to talk about here. Uh, The narrator explicitly recognizes her own flaw and that she'll more than likely forget this moment and this revelation if she's returned to civilization. How is this not failing as a partner?
1: In a certain sense, um, look, like in any long-term relationship, right, um, there is... um, as, well, I'll speak for myself. As much as I would love to live in that initial early state of limerence in a relationship, right, where you're um, sort of high on the person and probably not really seeing the full person, right? Um, you don't know all of them. There's still mystery. There's still an incredible amount of projection. Um you know as much as i'd love to live in that place relation long term relationships um and this is really explored in this book where um the the protagonist is actually writing a book about how love is a verb um you know not always a feeling right but she it's hard for her to um embody that in her life and to live that and i think that um you know the mind and the feelings um in any long-term relationship, go through so many ebbs and flows Mm -hmm. um, and and really can be very cyclical where at one point you're like, oh my God, like I cannot deal with this person. How did I, you know, how did I end up here? Only to like come (laughs) back around and be like, I love this person. And it's the same person, right? It's just that again, shift in perception or whatever is going on inside us. And of course, like, you know, sometimes the way they're behaving. Um, But so um, the remembering and forgetting, I think that, um it's human beings like we do forget, we forget, you know, like it would be amazing if we always remembered our epiphanies or we always remembered like, okay, this has come back around a million times, it's gonna come back around again, you know, but um, I think it's hard not to have like blindness or amnesia, you know, when we are in a struggle. And likewise, I think that. Um, the ability to um, really see a person, you know, and to really, um, to really like see clearly um, what someone has gone through, you know, without, without even having to put ourselves in that situation mentally, but just to really see someone clearly um, with less, of the lens or the, the, the kind of film of self over Mm. it, you know, that comes in moments. Um, it doesn't, it is, it is a hard thing to exist, um, and to be able to, and constantly, um, really see clearly without our own, um, sort of, biases or without our own, um, that, that lens or that film. And so, you know, she's saying like, I will forget this vision. Like I will forget, or even if I remember, I won't, um, necessarily be in it. Right. And that Mm -hmm. is different than actually when we have the vision of clarity of another human being. Um, you know, it doesn't happen all the time.
0: Do revelations like that whenever surprise you as you're writing?
1: Uh, Yeah, definitely. I write my way into revelations all the time. Um, And it's funny, too, because, like, I feel like now in my life, um, you know, I just did an event last night, um, Mm -hmm. a reading. And... um, I was as I was reading, I was like, who wrote this? I really recognize, like I really identify with this now. And I was like, oh, like I was still the same person when I wrote this. You know, it was um so I have a built-in forgetter for my own writing. But also I was like, oh, the issues she's facing in a lot of ways are some of the same issues I'm facing now. Um and that's what's funny about being a writer too is that um you know, and, and the, the writer in the book talks about this that as a writer, your characters go through an arc. They have their, like, revelations or... And it's not that necessarily there is, like, the neatest ending, right? Like, none of my mm-hmm. books have, like, the neatest ending. They don't... You know, it's... They're, they're not all heroes' journeys in the typical sense of, like, an Odysseus comes home, you know, and that's it. The end. You know, it's, it's different. And so... Um, but they do have their arc. They do have their revelation. And then they disappear on the last page. But the mm-hmm. author keeps going, right? And that is, I think, where the forgetting that we were talking about can come in.
0: Hmm. After writing this novel, do you have an answer for the question, how do we find comfort in the fact that we will always be alone?
1: Um, How do we find comfort in the fact that we will always be alone? Mm. Um, That's a really good question. I think, like you know, like in the vein of the protagonist, um, you know, I too long for a connection with a higher power, and I really do, and I too long for that, like one. Thing that I can hold on to, right um, that one conception or that one image of a higher power that I can hold on to that like I'll always know where to find it right and um, and but perhaps you know like it's not to say that that higher power lives only within us mm. um, you know I think that it's also in the world like it's in it's both right There's a bothness. Um, but, um, but the fact that there is that, uh, inner resource, right. That there is, and, and really, I love the idea that in some ways that maybe we already have everything we need. Mm. This book also explores like the art, like how, how do we want what we already have? You know, how do we want what we already have? Um, but I think in terms of aloneness, um, you know, like, well, it's like, well, we I have myself, I have my experience, um, you know, I have my inner resources. And even in the face of fear, even in the face of neuroses, like, what if what if I already do contain everything I need?
0: In the end, this is a novel about love. It's about finding self-love, realizing what love means in relation to how you exist with those around you, finding love and just existing You write, quote, of all the love languages, I think the greatest is to be there. The greatest of the languages to be here for, to have been there with, love. Why were you thinking of love in this way when you wrote Death Valley?
1: Sure. Well, so um, the character, my protagonist, is writing a novel um, about um, where she is, you know, exploring love as a verb, right? to actually be there. And it's um, and then she's also at the same time grappling with um the experience of showing up and not necessarily receiving like the welcome that we want. like when she shows up at her father, when she continue, continues to go to her father's ICU bed and like he it's not always like, It's not this like loving moment of reckoning that she, you know, but she's still, but she's there. And likewise with her husband, it's very difficult for her uh, with his illness and disability to, to show up for that day after day. Right. Um, And like a not kind of like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to face this. I don't want to face this difficulty and this pain, Um, you know, and a, a pain that like, I don't know if this has an end, you know, mm-hmm. like this is but um but to but to continue to be there, right? To continue to keep going and to continue to be there, um, that's love as a verb. And that is, you know, and so um and so she's like, wait a second. She sort of realizes, I think, for herself, like that it's not love as a feeling, love as a sensation, love as an orgasm, mm-hmm. right? But love as a or, or commitment, you know, as a presence and commitment to somebody.
0: Are love and empathy two sides of the same coin and can one exist without the other?
1: Well, in this book, you, uh, she she and her husband, um, you know, sort of get into an argument about like <laughs> uh, empathy versus compassion, right? Like yes. empathy is yeah. the ability to feel what another per- person is feeling and um, and then to have sympathy where Whereas um, compassion is that sort of sympathetic, you know, we don't have to have been in that position. We don't have to be able to even, like, identify with what a person is feeling, right, to be able to have sympathy, which is a much more challenging thing to do. It's much more natural as human beings to have empathy, to, to, to to say like, okay, I, I see where you're coming from or I feel where you're coming from, right? R- rather than just sort of suspending all of that, suspending the desire to need to know, disp- suspending the desire to need to feel it and still having compassion, still having sympathy. Um, and so I think in that sense, um, love is a feeling maybe seen as empathy, right? Where we can, where we feel it. We feel it, what someone else is going through, much more personal, love is a verb, maybe, uh, compassion, you know, like I, I can't understand this. I can't, I can't even access like necessarily inside me, like the emotions that you might be feeling, mm. um, right now, you know, but I'm here.
0: Melissa, that is it for us today. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I loved loved the experience of reading death valley um it's brilliant
1: thank you so much it was awesome to speak with you alex you asked the best you asked the hard-hitting questions (laughs) it's
0: what we do here that's what we do all right thank Thank you. you thanks melissa thank you listeners